Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. This morning, um, if you need a copy of God's Word, just uh, raise your hand and we'll find you a copy of God's Word. Uh, Reese, Andre, hey, I think we may have some... Uh, Maybe they're downstairs. Here, they're, we were using them for Bible study. So why don't you go grab, grab some, Andre? Uh, so we would love you to follow, follow along with us. I'm going to be doing the sermon a little different today, not reading the whole thing. Uh, we're going to read it in sections and kind of break up the points. There's 44 verses. And if I read 44 in a row, you'd probably fall asleep on me uh, early in the sermon. And so we don't want that. But we're excited that you're here with us today. For those of y'all that don't know I am, my name's Dean, one of the pastors here at Family Church, and we are grateful that we get to, like Andre opened us up with, we get to love God passionately and love others, love people personally. That's what God calls us to do as his family. We've been in the Gospel of John, and our sermon series has been entitled Life. And the reason why is the Gospel of John is, is written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of all that God promised to his people. And that by believing that he is the Messiah or the Christ, we might have life in his name. That's what John writes in John 20, verse 31. And what we'll see here today is the miracle of the resurrection of Lazarus. And if you didn't know this, Jesus is a resurrecting God. He is the resurrecting God. He performs three different resurrections in the scripture. We see the widow's son in Luke 7, Jairus' daughter, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about Jairus' daughter being risen from the dead. He himself defeated death in the grave and rose from the dead. That's what we're going to look at. Uh, East, that's what we celebrate on Easter. And then here, he talks about his friend Lazarus. John talks about Jesus' friend Lazarus who had died and Jesus brings back to life. And the purpose in this story today, letting you in on the purpose of the story today, is to show that Jesus has power, not just in this life, but in the life to come. And that's why John includes the story of Lazarus. He includes the story so that we may see that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the one who is going to come and restore and redeem his people, and so that we may have life in his name. Today's sermon's entitled The Waking, and like I said, we're going to be in the 44 verses of chapter 11, and we're going to unpack this big idea, which is this. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the resurrection and life. And Jesus today, if you follow him and you put your faith in him, he is your resurrection and life. So let's read the first 15 verses together. And then we're going to see how Jesus displays himself as the resurrection and life to us as his people. John 11, beginning in verse 1. Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her, and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him and said, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
just just stopping right there. The word there for love, y'all know that word is a usually used for Christ as agape, which means godly love. But right there, they're saying the one you love is the filius love. The one you love like family is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death. Do you get it? God gives us the end of the story before the beginning. If we have our Bibles, we have a book called Revelation that gives us the end of the story before we even get into it. The sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he had heard that he was sick, talking about Lazarus, he stayed two more days where he was. And after that, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you and you're going there again. And Jesus replies, aren't there 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am speaking on my, but I am on my way. This is good news. I'm on my way to wake him up. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll get well. Jesus, however, Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And I'm glad for you that I wasn't there that you may believe, but let's go to him. That may seem odd, but here's the truth that we see about Jesus. First off, we see that he hears. He hears. He's the resurrection and life, and he hears. He knows in your life when you need resurrection and when you need life. He hears. He hears all of your needs. He hears all of your needs. So we see that his friend Lazarus, which if you didn't know, Lazarus is the, is, is the, is the, is the Greek war, uh, uh, formation of the Hebrew name Eleazar, which means God assists. And so Lazarus was one who was assisted by the Lord, not just in resurrection, but in life. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus Christ. And what we see here is that Jesus finds out about his, his friend being sick, and he finds out from Mark. to dine and and who was working anybody remember who was working who's working their tail off Martha was working her tail off and what was Mary doing she was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha's like hey I'm doing all the working and you're doing all the loving do y'all ever feel that way in your your house you ever know someone you feel like you're doing all the work and they're just getting all the glory and that's the way Martha felt tells you a little bit about their personalities we also see and Jesus already alluded to this and and John is saying that Mary is the one who anoints the Lord with oil. And we'll actually see that that story takes place in the next chapter. And as 
taking place in the other Gospels as well. And we see that John is, is alluding to a story that these people already know, that Mary is the one who, who, who poured out the expensive oil to, to anoint the Savior. And Judas complains. He's like, why is Mary wasting all that expensive oil when we could sell it and give it to the poor? And Jesus reminds them, I'm not going to be here with you much longer. I'm paraphrasing. Give your best to me now is basically what he's saying. So here's Mary and Martha, two people who are intricately connected with this good news story that we read about, and their brother Lazarus. This was a family that was close to Jesus and his family. And, and Jesus, here's the one that he loves, is, is sick. And it says that his response is, First, he says, what's going to happen? He said, this, this isn't going to end in death. And then what does he do? He doesn't go immediately. He stays there. Does that not seem odd? There's a need. Get this. Lazarus isn't dead at this point. Lazarus is just sick. So why didn't Jesus get up right away and go and heal him? says a few answers to that one god's not god's not at the will of man in any way like jesus, like like uh like not jesus like reese was saying that we are saved not by anything that we've done but by what god has done for us god is not obliged to do anything to us or for us in return but he hears and by his grace he does Amen. he hears us He's not an absent God. He knows what the needs are. And he arrives in his perfect timing. Amen. And that might not look like our perfect timing, but it's his. Have you ever prayed for someone that you knew that was sick? You prayed for their, for their restoration, maybe even their resurrection, and it didn't come to pass. But what we know is that even in death, for those of us who follow Jesus, we're more alive than we could ever be in this present state that we live in. God hears. He knows the pain that we're going through, and he's there for us. He says in verse 9, as they're complaining, he says, aren't there 12 hours in a day? And what he's alluding to here is the fact that he hears us and the fact that he knows what our needs are. See, in the, Jew, the Jews uh, considered 6 a.m., to 6 p.m., the light of day in the summer. And, uh, and, and that was the, the day was considered those 12 hours. They operated on a similar calendar and clock to what we do. And what he's saying is, while there's light out, there's time to be useful. And you know darkness may creep in, but the darkness can never survive the light. And in verse 11, he says that Lazarus has fallen asleep. Now they thought, Sleep. They thought natural sleep. Jesus is alluding to sleep as a metaphor for death, which is what it is throughout the ancient Judean culture. When you said someone was asleep, you meant they were dead. They were dead and they were gone. Do you know the same word here in verse 11 for dead is the same? We get the same word for cemetery from this word in Greek. Jesus is saying he's, he's gone. He's gone. But what they're, what they're not fully understanding is that he's not just sleeping, but he's gone. 
And what we see in verse 15 is that Jesus says, I'm glad for you that I get to go and to show you my power. It's basically what he's saying. We see that Jesus knows that any situation could be used for something good. We talked about that in group this morning, right, Andre? Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So be assured, Christ hears you. Jeremiah 33, 3. The prophet tells us that God tells his people, call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you incomprehensible things that you do not know. First John, you'll see this on the screen. First John chapter 5, verse 14. This is the confidence that we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will. You know what anything means in the Greek? It means anything. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now you catch that. Anything what? According to his will. God's not here to just give us anything that we ask for. Andre prayed for the Falcons to win the Super Bowl that year, and it didn't happen, right? We pray for the Saints to win every year. That don't happen. Maybe, like we were saying, you have a loved one who's sick. You pray for it. It doesn't always happen. What do we have to do? We pray according to God's will. And if we pray according to his will, he hears us. Let's keep reading John 11, verse 16. Then Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too so that we may die with him. You see, Thomas knew that by going, they, they potentially faced death. Because what the disciples say, why would you go when they just tried to stone you, Lord? See, Thomas was like, okay, well, let's go, and we're surely going to die. The situation seems hopeless, not just to Martha and Mary and the family because of the death of their loved one, Lazarus. The situation seems hopeless even to the disciples, the followers who've been with Jesus, who've seen the, res who've seen the miracles, who've seen the signs. And he's like, let's go so that we may die with him. We like to knock on Thomas all the time, right, as doubting Thomas. But he had the faith right here. He said, okay, we're going to die. Let's go, right? But Jesus had something else to show him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary. And just so y'all know, uh, Bethany was a small town. And so this was a popular family in a small town. This was a whole town taking notice of what was happening here. So the Jews had come to Mary and Martha, or Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. And as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she did a very Martha thing. She left and she went to him. She got to work. Mary does a very Mary thing. Mary stayed seated in the house. Martha's a proactive one. Mary's the one who kind of sits and rests and sees what God's going to do. Do you all know that both of them are needed? We need to do both of them. Laura and I are very different people. I'm Martha. Laura's Mary. Like, really. Like, I'm the charge, charge hell with a water pistol type of person. Laura's like, you may get burned. You may need to be careful. We need to have both in our world. 
We need to abide. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus. And there, and there are times that we need to get to work. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you, Martha engages Jesus with a theological discussion here. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha said to him, she's quoting what is a common understanding of Jews for the afterlife. And she's saying this, this is kind of an Old Testament understanding, even though there was disagreements, Pharisees and Sadducees both disagreed on this. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she said. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Jesus not only hears, was he, I am the resurrection and the life, he assures. He assures us. We need to be assured when we're in pain. See, Martha's like, hey, I know. I know that the Old Testament uh, prophets have said that we would rise again. And I, I know there'll be a resurrection in the last day. But Jesus is like, no, I'm the fulfillment of that. I'm your hope. As we'll see next week, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me is what he tells Thomas. And so we see here that Jesus assures his people. And we all need assurance when we're going through painful times. Amen. Laura and I have had a, uh, just to be honest, we haven't had a great season of life. It's been tough with hurricanes and, and COVID. We've all gone through that, right? And y'all know the story of our house, you know, and we all go through different stories like that in different hard times. And, and you know, that's following up a season where we've had some people that we loved in our life die. Over the last five years, we've had a good amount of people in our lives, and thankfully not the last year or so, but we've had, uh, we've had a good amount of people uh, in our lives that passed away, people that we love, not just peripheral friends that we know, people that were close. March is the fifth anniversary of my father's death, and it's also the third anniversary of my friend Tim Piglia's death. Now, my friend Tim is my first time, my first time I was a pastor. I'm still a pastor, yeah. So uh, when, when I pastored Restoration Church, uh, Tim was the second person we ever led to Christ there. Amen. He's the second person that we ever baptized. He actually came the first Easter I ever preached an Easter sermon. He brought me to the side and asked if he could receive Christ, and we baptized him the next week. Tim grew up into a, a, a mighty man. He served in the Chi Alpha at UNO, and Travis knew him, you know. Like, a lot of people were impacted by Tim, great, great godly man. I married Tim on New Year's Eve uh, three years ago, so three, a little over three years ago on New Year's Eve. He, we sent him out. He was preparing. He and his wife already knew they were going to India. They moved to the India at the end of January. I get a call in, in March, about two months later, from the head of the organization that had sent him and said, uh, Tim is dead. And it didn't make sense, y'all. You know, hey, you look at me and you're like, man, maybe Dean's not the picture of physical health. But Tim was the picture of physical health. It made no sense. There was no foul play to our knowledge. There was no family conditions. He just dropped dead. And they said, would you go tell the family? 
And so Laura, I picked. I told Laura, I was like, hey, I'm coming to cancel your patients. We've got some things we have to handle. And so we, uh, I went and picked up Laura. I met her at her house. We went over to their house. And we ended up telling this family that their son had just passed away. I didn't know what else to say in that moment other than God is here even in my pain, and he will be there in yours. Amen. And from the very beginning, I, I spoke to this family, God's word, and I said, Romans 8.28 says he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen. Now, we didn't understand why Tim had died. Laura and I, on the way home, we got away this past weekend, and uh, on our way home from Gulfport yesterday, we stopped at the Slidell Veterans cemetery and saw uh, our papa, uh, Laura's papa, who died uh, about two years ago. May will be two years ago. And then um, Tim is in there as well. They both served in the Navy. And so we, we got to visit. It's weird to say visit both of them because neither one of them are there. You know, they're not there. That's the story that we're talking about today, resurrection and God's resurrection power. But we got to go there and just remember and uh, I told Laura on the walking away from Tim's grave, I said, you know, life's hard. Like, life's hard. I don't understand it sometimes. I understand why people come and go. I don't understand why certain people die. I don't understand why certain people are successful. Like, I don't, I don't understand it all. But what I know is this. He assures. He assures that he'll work everything out to his glory Amen. and our good. And he assures us that he is the one who brings resurrection. Amen. He is the one that brings life. It reminds me of Revelation 21. All things will be made new. All the tears will be wiped away, right? We're going to be with him. We're going to be in his presence. He will be our God, and we will be his people. He'll, he already reigns for all of eternity, but he invites us to reign with him for all of eternity. You see, Lazarus had died, and if you didn't know this in the household in that time, the brothers and the men were the providers. Lazarus was the provider for the home. So in this moment where... The provider of the home had died. Jesus reminds Martha that your situation is not without hope. And Jesus is here today to remind you that your situation is not without hope. And this is what Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 and 55. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then it shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Let's keep reading. John 11, verse 28. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. And Jesus, But Jesus had not come into the village yet, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. 
and the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her. Did y'all know during this time, part of, part of mourning, y'all know how we talked about the water and, and the wine, how the, how the celebrations could last a week? Well, funerals were very similar. The person who was grieved would sit in the house and they would mourn and they would wail and they would just basically get miserable. You're ever in a moment where you're just sitting and you're thinking about it and you get more miserable about Laura and I suffered with that on our way to our, our, our semi-vacation on, on Friday night. And we just were talking about hard things in life. And just as you talk about it more and more and more, you just get more and more miserable. Well, that's what Jewish mourning was like. Jewish mourning. They even, you know what? They hired professional mourners. This is weird. They would hire professional mourners to come in and wail and weep. This was a show. This was a spectacle. They hired musicians to play. This was a, this was a moment where, where, where all hope was lost. All hope was lost. But it says Mary got up quickly and she went out. And they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb... Why was she going to the tomb? Not for the resurrection. They supposed she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. This is what we should all do, right? We should fall at the feet of Jesus. And she said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus wants to even hear our complaints because he has an answer for them. When Jesus saw her crying, the Jews had come with her crying. He was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. This might seem odd. Why didn't Jesus have compassion? Why didn't Jesus know? He was deeply moved in his spirit. He was agitated and he was troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And they showed him where he was laid and then the First verse in the Bible, if we grew up in church, we all memorized, was two words, right? John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. He hears, he assures, but I can assure you this, he cares. He cares. He doesn't just care for your feelings. He cares for your soul. Do you all know this? Some commentators, you know, we, you may have heard sermons before about Jesus wept, and this is like, Man, he, he, he weeps over us. He's, he's personal. He's, he loves us. You know, he loved Lazarus. You've heard this before, and that is true. But John's doing something what, that I think is pretty intentional here, and a lot of commentators believe so as well. He uses a different word for weeping here than he does with any of the other weeping in the chapter. Perhaps... John telling the gospel story is trying to make a point. Because in the context of the story, these disciples have seen all that Jesus has done. They've seen all the miracles. But yet they were still without hope. And Jesus is troubled. He's agitated. And it says that he cries. Perhaps, perhaps, and I'm saying perhaps because we'll know one day when we meet him face to face. We'll know that perfect theology. We'll know what, what is right and what's wrong. Perhaps, perhaps he was weeping at their unbelief. Perhaps. He cared 
for their feelings and their hurt and their pain, and he cared for his loved one that was lost. But he also cared for what they believed about him. See, Jesus doesn't care just about what you declare. Now get that, right? Martha had already declared that Jesus could do what he said he did. But yet she came and she got to the tomb and there was no hope. Let's continue to read. John 11, verse 37. But some of them said, couldn't he have opened the blind man, couldn't he who have opened the blind man's eyes have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved the word in the Greek, this translation, the Christian Standard Bible is very nice about this, but Jesus kind of agitated again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Does that sound familiar? A cave with a stone lying against it. He said, remove the stone, Jesus said. Now here's Martha, the one that just made the declaration about what Jesus said, I, I'm the resurrection and the life, right? Yes. Jesus just said that, and Martha said, yes, yes you are, we agree. But what does she say? Martha, the dead man's sister, said, Lord, there is already a stench because he's been here for four days. Ah. He's been dead for four days. His body is decaying. In Jewish tradition during this time, they left the body to basically decay for a few days, hoping that the spirit would come back. They saw the, the body. If you didn't know this, if you don't embalm a body, like we embalm, that's what, how we either cremate or embalm, the body begins to decay after three days. And so, and, and hey, hey, here's the thing. If, if you've never been around someone who passed away, you see that this is just a shell. We're nothing without a spirit. Ah, you ever been to an open casket funeral? People just look different. They look different. It's because it's the spirit that gives us life. Amen. There's something that this new heavenly body, this resurrection that we look forward to, we will be made alive more fully than we could ever know in this life. So the body had already been decaying. And the general belief was that the spirit hovered around the body, possibly to re-enter for three days. And after that three days, the body lost, in their understanding, the body lost its color and began to die. The natural process is where the body was dying. And it turns a different shade after three or four days. And at that time, they believed the Jewish soul then went to a place called Sheol which is, y'all ever seen that in the Old Testament? Sheol, which is the place of death. So this is their traditions. And so Martha is saying, wait, you're saying that you're the resurrection and the life, and you're saying, but how, what are you going to do? His body is already smelling. It's already decaying. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes. This was a common posture to prayer. Y'all know how nowadays we bow our heads and close our eyes. Well, the common posture of prayer in that time was to open your eyes and look to heaven. You see, most of the time they're outside. If we open our eyes and look to heaven, we just see uh, insulation, you know? But that was there. That was there. They're looking to the heavens. You ever been in nature and just look to the heavens and cry out to God's a beautiful thing? Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. 
I know that you always hear me. He acknowledges God already for who he is. But because of the crowd that is standing here, I said this, so that they may believe you'd sent me. And after this, he shouted in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man came out, bound hand and foot with linens and strips with his face wrapped in cloth. Now catch this. Then Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Jesus involves us in his story. He hears, he assures, he cares, he raises. He raises us up to new life. And you know what? Just like in this story, he involves us in spiritual resurrection. He tells us to go to people, unwrap them, so that they may see and they may go. That's our call. We get to be, we're challenged to be a part of his story. He weeps because those that he loves are dying without hope. And he weeps because we don't have that hope at all times. He weeps because the world doesn't yet know him. The scripture says that he'll come again when the whole world hears. And that's why we go to every nation, every tribe, every tongue. We are fulfilling the mission of bringing God's kingdom here to earth. That's what God calls us to do. You see, here's the truth. You've heard the phrase oftentimes, seeing is believing. Have you not heard that, right? Seeing is believing. I'll believe it when I see it. How many people have said that? I say it all the time. Seeing is believing. Well, in God's kingdom, seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. Now let that sink in. Seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. The Lord weeps because he wanted his people to believe. He knew that Lazarus wasn't dead. He just said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Even if Lazarus was dead, that wasn't the end of the story. But he brings him back to life. And what does he say in his prayer to God, the Father? He says, so that they may believe. He wants us to believe. Jesus is the resurrection, the life, and we want to invite you today and everybody else to join that mission, join that family that believes in the resurrection and the life. Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's say that again. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We were never meant for death. But death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? We worship a Savior who died on a cross and defeated death, hell, and the grave and rose again three days later and offers us new life. Though we one day will be in our beds and we will breathe our last breath, but for those of us that have followed Jesus we will wake up, not in the pits of shoal or hell, but we will wake up to everlasting life. Amen. I want to invite you today to be a part of that truth and to find life in Jesus. A few announcements to close, and then Reese is going to come. He's going to lead us on a song called Rise Up Lazarus. It's just going to be a celebratory song that we're going to end here and, and sing the truth that we read about and spoke about today.
We have an upcoming move. We're going to be in Metairie. Y'all know next Sunday is our last Sunday here, not permanently, but our last Sunday here for a, a you know, few weeks, a season. Um, hopefully that's not too long. But we are going to be in Metairie, and the, some of y'all have helped us out at the facility already, but if you haven't seen the facility, I just encourage you to ride down West Esplanade, past Transcontinental, past the CVS that's at the corner there, and that, a couple, a few houses, I don't know, it's three or four or something like that, and then you'll see a church on your right. It says Family Church. People are already asking. They're like, man, y'all already opened your second campus already? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, praise, praise God. Praise God. You know, we're going over there to have impact. And you never know what God's going to do in that time. And we are excited about that. So I want us to come excited next Sunday to pray and worship. Our message is going to be about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. And may that be a message that echoes throughout these walls and out this neighborhood here in University City for generations to come. So we're going to speak next Sunday prophetically that God is, is, is going to do what he, it's not prophecy if he's already promised it. We're just being reminded about who he is and what he said he's going to do. And then I want you to get excited for Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday, we're going to be in the new place. You'll see that uh, our sermon, we're going to wrap up our time in the book of John. It's going to be called Come Find Life. And so I want you to invite as many people as you can to come and find life. Resurrection Sunday is a time for joy. It's a time for celebration. You know the Superdome yesterday? I'm not big into college basketball, but did you know the Superdome yesterday was filled? It was filled with people rooting on four basketball teams. And two of them left as losers, and two of them left as winners, and they'll fill the dome again tomorrow night, and it'll be full. Did you know, did you know in Jefferson Parish and Orleans Parish, Dr. Day, who I don't know if he's teaching at the seminary anymore, but Dr. Day once did a study that kind of alluded to the fact that Orleans and Jefferson Parish, now this study's a little older, so hopefully it's changed, but about 10 years ago, Orleans and Jefferson Parish had less evangelical Christians in them than would fill the Superdome. So let that sink in. About thirty or 40,000 evangelical Christians. And the two, East Baton Rouge Parish is the biggest parish in the state. Jefferson Parish is the second biggest. Orleans is the third biggest. Did y'all know Jefferson bigger than Orleans? It's, it's, a, it's about 100,000 more people. I don't know if that's still true in the 2020 census, but it was, you know, after Katrina because we had a lot of population movement. Did y'all know in the two of the three largest parishes in Louisiana, 30 to 40,000 evangelical Christians. You know how many people we can put in the dome? We can put 70. With standing room, it could come up near 80. That means barely half of the Superdome would be filled. We have work to do. We have work to do because basketball teams, hey, last Sunday, we brought the boys that, you know, Colden's been begging to go see a basketball game for two years now with COVID and all that. And we, we took out our life savings, and we brought him to see the Lakers. And uh, it was a beautiful moment. It was a beautiful moment. Uh, the Pelicans spanked the Lakers. They spanked them again the other night. It was great. It was awesome, you know. Sorry, Andre's a Lakers fan, too. It was weird, you know. So it, God, God brings enemies together uh, for his goodness and his glory. It's good. So, um, 
But we went to the game the other night. Man, it got crazy. Everybody was wanting to beat LeBron, and you know what? We did. We did. It was good. It was awesome. How excited we can get over football teams and basketball teams and festivals and crawfish and all these other things when Jesus deserves so much more. So I want to invite you to invite some people to come find life this Easter Sunday. Life that's not defined by wins and losses, but life that's already been defined by a victor. And his name is Jesus. He's the one that cried out on the cross, it is finished. Echoed throughout eternity in Revelation, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That's where we're going to be, Revelation, uh, the weekend You'll see it up on the screen. The weekend after Easter Sunday, we are going to start a new sermon series called The War is Over. And here's why. Sometimes we look at the book of Revelation, we think about future wars and Armageddon and all this thing. Here's the thing. The cross of Jesus Christ tells us it's already done. It's already been accomplished. And so we're going to explore that. I hope you're not looking to have every answer that you have about that book answered. Because you know what? Spoiler alert. I don't know. Mike don't know. Mike's not here to defend himself today, but Mike doesn't know. And I can guarantee you don't know. But what I do know is that this book was written to some churches who were struggling. It was written to encourage them that a war has taken place. Any war that may take place has already been decided. And I'm I'm just excited that we get to look at that this spring and into the summer together. And I want you to get excited about it too. Maybe you know someone who has questions about the book of Revelation. Y'all know we live in a time with COVID. It felt like Revelation, right? For the past couple of years, you know, in wars in Ukraine and, and all this. Like, it feels like the end times, you know? I want, I want to invi- invite you to invite somebody. Hey, we're going to look at what God's word says about our assurance together. I want to invite you to... to explore this book and learn more about this book. We're going to look at it in our small groups together. It's going to be a great, great time. I want to invite you to that. The war is over. So next Sunday, uh, we're going to be back here one more Sunday. Then we're going to be at our new location, Easter Sunday. Then the work begins not only reaching people in Metairie, but getting this ready for our, we're going to call it a homecoming, a grand reopening when we come back. It's going to be great, and God's going to get all of the glory. Let's pray. And then, Reese, I'm going to invite you to stand. If you want to grab the elements of communion, me and Laura will be here at the front. If you need somebody to pray with or be encouraged, but we are just going to sing the victory that we proclaim today. Let's pray, y'all. Lord, we thank you so much for being a great God. God, we thank you so much that the same power that rose Lazarus from the grave, Lord, the same power that you rose from the grave, Lord, lives in us. Lord, we thank you that death is not the final word, God. But death is just an opportunity to bring you glory. So, God, I I thank you for everyone that we know that's, that's died in you, the saints that have come before us. Red Larkin, our papa, Lord, uh, Tim Pigley, our friend. God, we thank you for everyone who's come before us that proclaimed you as Lord and called upon you and had faith, Lord. 
we thank you that now, even in death, they are more alive than we could ever imagine. And Lord, we know one day we will all see each other face to face and we will worship you. We will dwell with you and we will abide with you for all of time. So God, today, I pray if there's someone in here today who needs to follow you, Lord, they would put their faith in you. They realize, God, I, I have doubts. Just like Martha had doubts. Just like Mary and the Jews had doubts. God, you're there to answer our doubts with resurrection. God, I pray that we would see that seeing our experiences. God, maybe there's ways that you've confused us or failed us. God, may it in our soul resonate that seeing those things isn't what causes belief. But belief is what causes us to see. So God, today, we love you. We adore you. And we sing this song of celebration in response to the resurrection power that lives now in us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand.